to episode 21 of the Talent Crush Chat Show podcast, the show where we talk about the art and culture that we adore and sometimes get to talk to the people who make it. My name is Christopher Royce. I am a writer living in the San Francisco Bay Area. My name is Stevie Jackson. I'm an actor, writer, producer living in the Vancouver, BC area. Pacific Rim represent. <laughs> Woohoo! Western folks, West Coast. Left Coast. Left Coast. Uh, today we have a very special, super early recording because we are still in October and it's the morning. So it is early in two different ways. Yeah, we are. I mean, a little behind the scenes for you listeners. We're recording this a week after the previous episode you will have heard. Um, it's, it's a Saturday morning. We were trying. It took us... It took me because of uh, <laughs> technical difficulties with GarageBand. It took me uh, over an hour and a half. 82 no. minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, but for some of that, it actually was working and we were just talking. But I'm going to say it took, it took over an hour to get the computer to cooperate this morning. So we were meant to start at a particular time, and we are now <laughs> one hour and 24 minutes past that time. But we're committed that the show will be better for it. Somehow. Sure. <laughs> we, have, we have coffee. It's a beautiful day in Vancouver. I don't know what's happening down in the Bay Area. Uh, I can't tell because the window is closed so that there isn't sound interrupting. Oh, all right. But you don't have... <laughs> I, have I have my curtains open, but so nope. I can see. Nope. Oh, Chris is cloaked in darkness. Well, I mean, the window is cloaked in darkness. <laughs> the room is lit. I, uh, I, I was not aware until this moment that my podcast co-host was a vampire. I have some questions. Um, how, how is it being a creature of the night? Do you have to be you invited into a podcast? <laughs> well, I mean, strictly speaking, well, I guess we sort of co-founded the podcast, but I do feel like that... If you hadn't agreed to do this with me, I would still be a guy who has a lot of really good podcast ideas. <laughs> I feel like that may have been a threat. <laughs> no, no, it was meant the other way of like, oh. if you hadn't agreed to do this with me, it wouldn't have gotten done. Oh, okay. I was thinking like, oh, he's threatening to quit because I decided to pretend he was a vampire for a minute. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm not crazy about this bit, but I'm happy to, like, halfway participate in it and turn it into an awkward compliment. Sort of. Okay, I'll take it. This is what you get, listeners, on a free podcast on a Saturday morning. Yep, free podcast. So please, please listen to it first thing in the morning. I, I would like to stipulate that it is the end of October. It is very close to Halloween, hence my vampire bit. Yes, and I would like to stipulate that I do not like Halloween. Chris hates all holidays, as far as I can tell. He's not big on Thanksgiving. You don't like Halloween. Do you like Christmas? No, Christmas is the one I'm not big on. Thanksgiving is the one I do like. Oh, okay. Any other holidays you do or don't like? I mean, uh, I kind of, I think Valentine's Day is stupid. There are a lot of holidays where, like, okay, I get that people like this, but I have notes. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, most of mine are, like, Valentine's Day is stupid. On the other hand, uh, discount chocolate. So, sure. like, good chocolate on a discount. Um, so, uh, fine, you know, and I, I'm all for people loving each other and expressing that love. I just think it's weird that we've decided that there's one particular day where you're a loser if you're not in a relationship. Well, I, and bizarre. except for the fact that that's not just that one day, cause like New Year's has that connotation as well. That's true. And also just general life. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do feel like, I mean, everything is super commercialized. I mean, as we speak. That's true. There are, in October, again, mm -hmm. there are stores with Christmas decorations in them. Yeah. yeah. That's not acceptable. Like, at the very no. least, let's try to do one holiday at a time. Halloween yeah. hasn't even happened yet. Let's, let me please just suffer through the bullshit of, like, fake cobwebs before we get mm -hmm. to the bullshit of fake snow. Yeah. Oh, I, I have, if I ran the world, here would be <laughs> my rules. <laughs> or at least if I ran Canada. So, all right. No Canadian Thanksgiving till after Labor Day. It uh -huh. is still summer. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably not until we actually hit fall, because we're still a couple weeks out at that point. No yeah. Halloween until after Canadian Thanksgiving. That's early October. You still have most of the month to celebrate. Sure. Um, and no Christmas. And I'm, I take a hard line on this. No Christmas till December 1st. Yeah, minimum. And then you can Christmas it up right through to the end of December if you mm -hmm. want. 
Like right through to January 1st. Feel free to do your Christmas, New Year's hullabaloo. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, when you start with seeing, like I was seeing Christmas stuff in the stores in September. Yeah, fuck that noise. And yeah, it's absurd. It's like, at least let me get past Halloween. I would like it better if you let me get past what we call Remembrance Day, which is November 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, uh, I'd like Veterans it, Day. Veterans Day for you guys. Yeah. And uh, I would prefer it even more if we could get to December. Because also, why, why is America Christmasing before their own Thanksgiving? Your Thanksgiving is really late. You might as well get past Thanksgiving yeah. and then do Christmas. Well, I think we got, like, inundated with the idea, maybe even before our generation was coming up, but, like, the idea of the holiday season. You know, it's that, this thing that is sort of everything combined. So you start yeah. somewhere around Halloween or just after Halloween, and then you have Thanksgiving and Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's and everything else is sort of in that range is part of the season, which makes everything bleed over into everything else. I actually think that that is uniquely American. Yeah. Oh, because, I, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, because up here, because our Thanksgiving is so far away from Christmas. Exactly. Like we have a full two and a half months in between. Yeah. Um, but when we so when we talk about the holidays, that yeah. tends to be December. Yeah. But when I hear Americans talk about the holidays, it definitely starts at least at Thanksgiving. Like yeah. it's sort of it's the whole lead up to Thanksgiving. Like your holiday, not that we don't have a holiday season, but your holiday season is like a month longer than ours. Yes, which is to say that it is multiple goddamn months. Yes, yeah, and it, perhaps it does start at Halloween for you guys. Mm-hmm. I just feel ours are a little more spaced out, which I appreciate. I wouldn't mind if some of them were even more spaced out. Although I do like the, you know, you get a long weekend about once a month. I do enjoy that. That part's good. But we could do that anyway. We could just decide as a society that one weekend a month we're all going to take Monday off. Well, and especially because, I mean, this is, we're now real far from the premise of the show, so I'm just going to hit this one extra point. (laughs) Uh, But the like whenever anybody does like real hardcore statistical studies of people's actual productivity at work mm-hmm. the stuff that i have read is that we as humans tend to max out at about 6 hours a day mm-hmm. 4 days a week which yep. means that all that extra time you're spending at work you are not actually being more productive no so if you're you talking cut to your coworkers the week back to yep. monday through friday call it 10 to 5 with an hour lunch that is the same work week as a 40-hour work week. Mm-hmm. So, I would rather do Monday to Thursday or whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah, like a day off. I'm quite happy to, to work more often than not. Yeah. Um, but I think the 5-2 balance is off. I think it should be 4-3. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Please vote for me in your next uh, election of person running the world. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> speaking of speaking of live performances, you went to a live performance. Oh, we're getting so good at segues. False. Um, yeah, but you know what? Uh, there was somebody on stage last night working on his segue, and that somebody was Scott Ackerman, so I feel better. Um, Question, was he literally on a segue scooter? No. Okay. Sadly, no. Um, I know. It's, I'll, I'll talk to him about it. <laughs> I, I will not. Uh, we don't know each other. Uh, yes, so speaking of live performance, see, you know what we're really good at is destroying a half-decent segue. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We're really good at half-decent segues and then immediately undermining them with, like, sarcastic giggle fits. That's right. It's our thing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, last night I did go to a live performance of a podcast that some listeners may know as Comedy Bang Bang. Um, and bang, it bang. was... Comedy Bang Bang. It was delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I've seen them before. I will say, the last time that Comedy Bang Bang came here and did a live show, uh, I was... I'd had tickets for weeks, if not months, and I was very, very sick. So oh, no. I saw it through a, a haze of very strong cold medicine. Um, <laughs> there may or may not have been a meet and greet. I did not go to it because I, <laughs> I felt that it was irresponsible to pass my germs on to people who were on tour. Yeah, that just yeah. becomes like an outbreak scenario. It just sounds, it's mean. It's just mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I, like, I remember enjoying the show. I also remember feeling like I might die in this audience and the moment it was over, I need to go home. So this was much more fun. 
<laughs> because I was uh, fully alert for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, we had, uh, Scott Ackerman and Paul F. Tompkins and Lauren Lapkus and Andy Daly and Carl Tart mm-hmm. in town. And may I just say that Carl Tart has one of my favorite Twitter handles ever, which is damn it, Carl. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and then they had a local, uh, musical guest named, uh, Dan Mangan, I think is how it's said. Okay. Um, someone who, like, I've heard his name. I wasn't particularly familiar. Um, he was a, I liked him a lot. He was, he was a good sport and he was, um, (laughs) a fun balance because he does not do comedy songs at all. So it was like a, a really heartfelt musical interlude that happened about three times during the show. (laughs) But, uh, the, the thing, (laughs) yeah, uh, the thing that I, love about watching something like this and especially watching it live because when you hear something like this you never know if things are cut out or where the edits are but yeah the the ability of these people all of them um to improvise in character in front of a full theater Mm -hmm. for two hours which i think is longer than the show was supposed to be scott did warn us at the beginning that they might go over and the entire audience was like that's we will sit here forever (laughs) it's fine we don't i go ahead whatever you like just yes um and uh and to to really not i mean other than to sometimes have a laughing fit which occasionally happens a bit but they they're really good they don't break and they don't break character very much i mean they break in terms of laughing but they don't they often manage to keep it in character and of course knowing that if if it's ever going to be uh, experienced outside of this theater it will be audio so if you laugh very quietly it's not picked up yeah um but it's just it's it's delightful to watch them bounce off each other to watch them be delighted by each other or take each other by surprise yes um, and it just so happens they were at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre in Vancouver last night. And for my fellow Canadian listeners who live in Toronto uh, <laughs> or in the in that area, in the GTA, if you've ever been to the Queen Elizabeth Theatre in Toronto, it is identical. It is the same, like they use the same blueprints. So if cool. you're picturing that, you're picturing this. It is literally an identical theatre. Um, and the, the current show at our Queenie uh, is Sunset Boulevard. Okay. Which, if you know Sunset Boulevard, you know that the set is basically like a mansion with a giant curving staircase coming down the middle. Okay, and, okay. And it's very, like, it's very fancy and ornate and old Hollywood. And, sure. Um, and what is, what is so wonderful about it was I saw that and I went, oh, they're going to come in that way. Like, well, sure. Sure, they could come in that door to the wings that's open, or they mm-hmm. could come in, you know, from either side. But, you know, it would be just such a waste if they did not. And every one of them yeah. used the staircase, and every one of them used the staircase in a different way. And it's really too bad that it's not on video. Although maybe it is, <laughs> because now at live shows, there's just always somebody with their phone out. That's true, yeah. Um, the guy next to me was uh, recording, as far as I could tell, weirdly, he was very, very into the show. Like, he Mm -hmm. was clearly a fan. Yeah. um, Which is great. But he seemed to keep recording all the songs, which Hmm. was not cool for a couple of reasons, including but not limited to the fact that we were told those songs have not yet been released. The the musical guest songs? Yeah. Okay. It's new stuff this dude is working on. Yeah. He hasn't released them yet. You should not be bootlegging them. I understand yeah. that that's how bootlegging goes, but I, I have an issue with people who record live performance without permission, and you know, yeah, I don't like it. Um, but they, I couldn't do anything because I was like, I'm sitting next to him, but at the same time, I don't know him, so I can't yeah. really say anything other than sort of glancing over a few times, like, not cool, dude. Um, <laughs> and talk about bold. We were in the second row. Whoa, that's like something. Yeah, like, I'm pretty aware that they can see us up there about as well as we can see them. <laughs> That's think? one of those things where, like, I start to rationalize it a different way. Of like, well, I wonder if he's friends with the person on stage and is, like, doing them a favor so they can, no. like, watch their performance. But, like, obviously <laughs> that's stupid. But when someone is so brazen with breaking of rules, I try yeah. to, like, wrap my mind around how it could 
like it could be that I'm misinterpreting what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, it's not like there was announcements, uh, an announcement beforehand saying no yeah. photography. No, they, I, I did not hear them announce that. But to me, that's just basic live show etiquette is you you shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Um, but it was it was so much fun. It was really nice um, to have those guys in town. I realized I think it's the first time I've seen Andy Daly perform live. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've, I don't think I've ever seen him live, now that I'm thinking about it. I've been to tons of Sketchfest things, and he's been mm-hmm. around a couple of them, but I can't remember if I've ever actually seen him on stage myself. Yeah. And I, I could be wrong, because, um, I mean, he has done Thrilling Adventure Hour. Yeah, I think I and I've saw him seen do... enough of those live shows that I could be. It's very possible that I, in fact, have seen him live, and I just am not yeah. remembering. But uh, this was the first time, at least recently, that I've gotten to see him live on stage, and I find him delightful. Well, you, I saw so. tweeted, I think, in his general direction that you hoped he did a particular character. I did, which he didn't do, which is fair because oh. that was that was years ago. He had a whole new character, and everybody, you know, had time to be one character. Last okay. Night. Um, so he so he did he it was, in segments. Uh, sort of, yeah. So Scott came out, did a little, you know, warm up the crowd, and then yeah. brought out Paul and Lauren. Or actually, first he brought out the musical guest. Interviewed the musical guest first. Sure. He got to know him a bit. Then he brought out Paul and Lauren, and they came out as uh, Ch- is it Jasmine and Sunny <laughs> morning show hosts. I don't remember. Who only broadcast to one place. They're, they're morning show radio hosts who only broadcast to one place. And they stayed in those characters the whole time. And they were amazing. They were so fun. <laughs> so Andy actually came out last. So if okay. I, didn't, I didn't time anybody's performance because my phone sure. was in my pocket because I am not a monster. How dare you? It was turned off and in my pocket. Um, but uh, I feel like Andy probably maybe had the least time. E- equal or less. Yeah. Because he came out last, which is fine. Um, uh, Car- <laughs> Carl Tart came out as O.J. Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Reading, pretending to read from his book. Oh, boy. Oh, Did he boy. have an actual and prop book or was he, he just... He did not. No, okay. that, this came up in the improv. Okay. And so then uh, an invisible prop book appeared. <laughs> and then he turned invisible pages and read passages from the invisible book. And it was... Um, as a person who was finishing high school during the O.J. Simpson trial and uh-huh. who uh, watched the verdict happen live and everything, it was just, it was, I am, I feel like I am the exact audience for some of that comedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, boy. Yeah, so it, I, it just, it was, it was great, and I was watching them and thinking, like, it really is remarkable to stay in character for that long and riff off each other and really never drop the ball. And when one of them threw something that the other one clearly wasn't expecting, um, to sort of catch that and spin it and, and, and make it work. And, um, it really, it, that's a skill and it's very, very entertaining. And it went on for like a solid two hours with a couple of musical breaks. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the delightful part, the second delightful part for (laughs) me was that I found out on the day, um, that Janie Haddad Tompkins was coming up. She's married to Paul. She's an actress in her own right. Um, and we know each other a little, and she was coming up for the show. So I got a delightful bonus visit with Janie, which was super fun. Super fun. Uh, yeah, but I realized I let go your thing about who, uh, who it was that I had wanted Andy to play, <laughs> and I think you were wanting me to address that. Uh, no, I just was actually wondering. I wasn't trying oh. to be mysterious. I just wondered if he actually did... Oh, okay. Well, now I feel like we're leaving the listeners out. <laughs> so, yes, I had, I had tweeted in Andy's general direction, as you said, um, kind of, you know, this is, this is where I make public my heretofore secret hope that he will do his L. Ron Hubbard impersonation, if only for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, although I will say, in some ways, the character he did was not that far off. <laughs> um, That's great. But if you haven't heard... Andy, first of all, uh, if anyone doesn't know who L. Ron Hubbard is, he is the please, founder. No, wait. If you don't know who L. Ron Hubbard is, please don't research him and instead go listen to Ted Hollis' podcast. 
Yes, so possibly. that that's your first. <laughs> but I, th- I actually think in so it's more fun if you know who he is. I think. Yeah, that's probably. True. Um, he is so L. Ron Hubbard. For anyone who doesn't know, is the founder of Scientology. Mm-hmm. Was the founder of Scientology. He died in 1986. Although he still, <laughs> yeah, he still apparently has an office waiting for him in every org, as they mm-hmm. call it. That's what they call their buildings. And uh, just waiting for him to come back, I guess, in case of reincarnation. It's odd. Um, Who knows? Who knows? He is, uh, he does legitimately, the real L. Ron Hubbard legitimately did have and continues to hold the world record for most prolific author. He wrote over a thousand books. Uh, And never a second draft. (laughs) He never did it. Exactly. He never once went back and read anything he'd written. So none of them make any sense. Um, He, his uh, Dianetics book, which was being advertised on television when I was a child and which led to Scientology. Oh yeah. Um, was a bestseller for a very long time, and you can you can still buy all of these books from Scientology. Mm-hmm. I do not advise you to walk in to an org, not because I ever have, I refuse to, but because I listened to the nine-episode series that Ono, Ross, and Carrie did oh, on yeah. infiltrating a Scientology org, and uh, it's scary in there. I don't recommend it. <laughs> but it's also fascinating, so I do recommend listening to that. But if you have not, heard Andy Daly <laughs> on the Dead Authors podcast from, I don't know, several years ago now. Like, it was probably yeah. 2013. 14? I don't even know. So around there. Uh, yeah. Like, it, it's probably a good five years ago now. Mm-hmm. He did the only two-parter in the history of the Dead Authors podcast. Um, <laughs> it was hosted by Paul of Tompkins, who would do the show as H.G. Wells in mm-hmm. character. And he would have comedians come on and interview in character as an author that they chose and they were free to do as much or as little research as they wanted. And he clearly <laughs> did a ton of research. When you listen to the second episode, it's pretty clear that he went back and listened to the first episode that they'd recorded and released a couple of months before. Cause he was picking up threads that I don't know if you would really remember just from having done it. It felt to me like he had made sure to re-listen. So he knew where they'd left off and he knew what hadn't, hadn't been talked about and mm-hmm. where he could embellish. And it is, Maybe the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's extraordinary. It really is. It is It is worth your time. Um, Even yeah. if you didn't have the rest of Andy Daly's career, this would still be like an ample legacy. Yes, Just this one that character. is true. <laughs> yeah. And in general, um, Andy Daly is fantastic. This has turned in uh, unwittingly to a talent crush on Andy Daly. I know. I, I believe he's on our list somewhere. Um, but he's, he's one of those guys, you will have seen him. Mm-hmm. If you, if you Google him and you see his picture, you will have seen him on some comedy television show. Yeah. Um, he has been on, uh, The Good Place mm-hmm. in, I believe, season three. Yep. Um, he did an arc on Grandfathered, which isn't on anymore. I don't know if you can find that. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I don't um, know. I, I don't know. That was yeah, John show, show a couple of years ago. Yes, he had a show called Review that you can definitely get. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canadians, I believe you can find that on Crave. <laughs> Americans, I'm not sure where it is, but I guarantee you can get it. Um, go to the internet <laughs> and take a left. Yes, just go to the internet and Google. Uh, but you will have seen him on stuff, and he's he's absolutely hilarious, and his L. Ron Hubbard impersonation is unmatched. It's incredible. Tremendous. I was also thinking um, earlier when you were talking about uh, people breaking on stage and laughing yes. and whatnot, uh, a thing that I was thinking a while ago, maybe a couple weeks, is uh, thinking back to the old Spontanea Nation podcast, which mm-hmm. sadly is no longer being recorded. Um, but uh, when that show was new, people used to talk a lot online about like people sort of laughing in the background during yes. the monologue openings. Yeah, and Janet Varney, friend of the show, uh, mm-hmm. especially being one of the people who uh, listeners enjoyed being able to sort of call out, "Oh, Janet's in this one," because you could hear her laughing in the background. Yes, I found that delightful because I always mm-hmm. knew if I mean you can read the show notes, but I sometimes uh-huh. I would hear her and go, "Oh, Janet's on this one." But also like Jean Villapique and Annie Savage, yep. and there were a lot mm-hmm. of like good background laughers on that show but i wanted yes. to just real quick say like paul f tompkins i think is an underrated background laugher because i've heard him <laughs> guest on a lot of stuff in the last you know few years of course but just recently and like it's it's hard to describe but he does sort of like 
the, just the nature of his stifling a laugh, I find really delightful. That sort uh, of, oh! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like a duck and cover sort of energy to it of like, oh, I'm trying to dive away from the mic so I don't interrupt what you're doing. It, yeah, it feels to me like that happens when he's been surprised by the thing that's funny. Yes, and so he exactly. laughs out loud without meaning to and then mm-hmm. catches himself. Uh, I, that's what I've, it feels like. I don't know if that's true, but that's yes, how it feels. exactly. And I've heard that, um, I guess most recently I'm just remembering as we're talking on a couple of episodes of Super Ego, and mm-hmm. I just credit Matt Gorley, who edits that show, for keeping all of those in. Because yes. I know he spends a bajillion hours editing those because he's mm. posted some of his like process on Instagram yeah. videos and stuff. And it would be pretty easy to trim those out with all the extra work he's doing. But I like that he keeps in when Paul like breaks for a quarter of a second and then gets right back yeah. into it. I mean, I imagine, too, that he's keeping that in because he wants... Because my understanding of how they do that is they just kind of let it go. They record forever. And then he edits it into something resembling a story. Yes. And so there may be times when he's keeping it because he needs what is said around it or Mm -hmm. during it so that he can, you know, put together the story he's trying to put together. But I I I enjoy Yeah, I enjoy background laughter. I, I... I would see people particularly actually calling out Janet for it on Spontaneous Nation, and some of it was <laughs> was uh, people delighted by it, and some of it was people who uh, objected to it, and that drove me nuts. Because, that's you know, how you unless, know that's a bad person. Yeah, because unless you've been told mm-hmm. by the host of the show to, to hold it in and not let anyone know you're there until it's your turn to talk, I think you're free to laugh in the background. Yeah. Um, and I think I, one thing I loved about Spontaneation in particular, because it was a comedy podcast and it was meant to be funny, I enjoyed listening to them enjoying doing yeah. it. Yeah. They're having fun. They're enjoying Paul's stream of consciousness monologue. They're enjoying <laughs> the interview that they're party to while they wait for the improv bit. They're, I don't see anything wrong with that. I, it felt organic to me. And I thought, you know, it's... Uh, in a case like that where you've got a show with a single host, like it's it's up to Paul whether he wants to shut that yeah. down or not. He clearly didn't want to. He was clearly fine with it. So, you know, that's a case of uh, shut up, audience, and let them do their thing. <laughs> well, no one's also, making you listen to this free podcast. Exactly. You and can also, turn it off if you don't like it. With improv in audio only, you don't have the audience actually there. And so, like, no. I think that it probably helps a lot to sort of have everyone present be both performer and audience so you can kind of keep the energy going. And I think that if you were dealing with a scripted thing, regardless of genre, then Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe that's not as appropriate. But for improv specifically, I think we all kind of, anybody who's listened or watched to a couple of improv shows, I think you kind of get to understand that that's just the nature of how this works. Like it's, it's all happening in the moment. It's spontaneous. Yeah, and well, and especially in improv, because if you have a script, even if you're doing uh, like a live reading of something, I'm kind of thinking of Dead Pilots sure, podcast, sure. the Dead yeah. Pilots show, which is, again, for people who don't know, they read pilots that were sold to networks and developed but never shot. Yeah. Um, and it's all comedy pilots. And it's, it's lovely. But those guys have a script mm-hmm. when they're doing these, uh, you know, the table readings, we call them, whether or not there's a table. And they may or may not have had a lot of time with that script, but they do have a script. Yeah. Um, and that's a case where because they may not have had a time, a lot of time with it, they're, the actors don't necessarily see the jokes coming. And so sometimes you'll get background laughter from them. But yeah. generally when you're dealing with a scripted thing and you've had some rehearsals or you've had this for a while, you have the advantage of knowing the joke is coming. Yeah. And so it's easier to hold in your laughter or to, I mean, if you're doing a play, you'll see actors being completely stoic at hilarious things. And it's because they've seen it 56,000 times and it's funny to the audience, but they've, it's sort of worn out its humor in their brain a lot of the time (laughs) or they know it's coming. But above and beyond that, I would say like professionalism, you know, like sometimes your job is not to laugh. Yes, but in you could say that in improv as well. And the problem with sure. improv is you don't get the heads up that something is coming. Mm-hmm. You something is always coming, but you don't know what it is, yeah. and so it's it's easier to get caught off guard. Whereas, I mean, I remember years ago now, probably fifteen years ago now, stage managing a play that we worked on for so long that 
all of us, the whole company, just we forgot it was a comedy because <laughs> we'd rehearsed the hell out of it and nothing. And this will happen, I think, with it's a scientific thing that happens in the brain with humor. And I don't I'm not a scientist, so I don't understand all the ins and outs of it. But basically, a lot of humor, a lot of what happens when something strikes us as funny is that it's something unexpected. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, um, and sometimes it's something familiar, something you identify with, whatever, but what happens when you hear the same joke over and over or watch the same funny movie over and over, especially if you watch, like, say you pick a very funny movie and you watch it every day yeah. for a month like those worst idea podcast guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they do it for a year, but the thing is the joke... There will come a time when you understand that a joke is funny, but it doesn't make you laugh anymore. Yeah. And that's what happens often in rehearsing a comedy play yeah, is that yeah. you understand that that's funny, but it doesn't, you no longer break out laughing at it. In, in improv or in a, a cold read or a near cold read, a lukewarm read, if you will, <laughs> of a script, um, you, that hasn't happened for you. Yeah. And so you're more likely... To break, uh, breaking generally means to laugh, to break character, mm -hmm. uh, because you can't, you can't possibly see it coming. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and especially, I mean, there was some wild stuff that happened on Spontaneous Nation. Oh, sure. That, <laughs> that no one saw coming, so of course they're laughing. Yeah. And that, I think as an audience member, well, I don't want to generalize, my particular experience of improv shows across the board, both live and in podcasts, is that sometimes the funniest parts are when the performers surprise each other and everybody breaks. Uh, yes. There was a, I think I probably mentioned it you know, on a podcast in the past, but there was a uh, uh, Work Choose Improv show at this past Sketchfest mm -hmm. where there was a moment when, like, several of the performers literally ran off stage because they were yeah. laughing so hard. <laughs> And Sometimes I just, like, you have to. Yeah, that is that is like more memorable than any like clever pre-written sketch. You yeah, know, could be to me personally. Yeah, like that being in the room for that. That's in in a, in a world where everything is expensive. Mm -hmm. That that is worth the price of admission in a way that something that's just cleverly written might not be. Like, no, yeah. that's the thing that you had to be here to see it. Yeah, and that will probably well, it would never happen again. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to your point about professionalism, yes, the professionalism would dictate not breaking, Yeah. but I also don't want to call people in an improv situation unprofessional if they oh, do happen to break. Yeah. No, I didn't mean it that way, but that's a good point. How, how would they not? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What, uh, what are you into? <laughs> I have actually a comedy related thing that I wanted to talk about, um, which is I... Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I started a sentence and then I autocorrected and it all came to a halt. Um, you know how, well, the, the reason that I tripped up is that we sort of have, are in the middle of this conversation about whether an audiobook do you read it or do you listen to it? So if I tell you I read a book, but I actually listened to the audiobook, should I tell you that I listened to a book? Cause that sounds weird. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we need to adjudicate this, but that was what made me stop. That's uh, a question for another, <laughs> a, a comedy podcast designed to answer judicial questions. Um, but I listened to an audiobook read by the author, who is Josh Gondelman. It's called Nice Try. It is an amazing book. Uh, Josh is somebody that people may know from his uh, Twitter pep talks. He is sort of the nicest guy in comedy. He was, until recently, part of the Emmy Award-winning writing staff of Last Week Tonight, uh, he's one of my favorite Twitter followers. He's an amazing comedian. I met him many years ago at an old Meltdown show in L.A. This would have been about 2015. And he's just like the loveliest, most delightful person who is also a comedian. And usually stand-ups have like, I mean, there many of them are nice people. And it's, you know, the industry in general is not the way it was decades ago where like being an abusive asshole was the only way to be a comic. So there are lots of lovely people in stand-up. Um, but Josh's book is really great, and I cannot recommend it enough, especially as we've talked about many times, including all the way back to our Tina Fey episode. If you can listen to an author read their own book, please do. Yes, that's always the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's called Nice Try. It's uh, available everywhere. Books are books. So, um, is it a memoir? Is it a what? Did we it's talk about genre? Of, I feel like I missed what genre it is. No, I was speaking more qualitatively than descriptively. Okay. Now I realize um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of these sort of like comedy essay memoir kind of books okay. where it's not really a biography, but it's you know the same genre as most of these other kind of comedy celebrity autobiography okay. type books. So like, so like a bossy to pants Book or a yes or, please or this will only yeah. hurt a little or okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's sort of in that space where, you know, you're not necessarily going to get everything about a person's life, but you're going to get, mm-hmm. you know, really quality things that they've written. Awesome. <laughs> that have maybe appeared other places too. So there's like a couple of medium posts that got re-edited and folded in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stories of his childhood and how he met his wife. Yeah. And, you know, all the kind of stuff that you'd expect from, you know, a 30-something comic. Cool. Um, he was a uh, kindergarten, or no, preschool teacher. Huh. Shit, now I can't remember. He he taught and cared for young children as a job. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if they're three the or comedy. they're five, honestly, There's... it's not a huge difference. They're still essentially babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's a very interesting guy with uh, an interesting, well-told story. There's your blurb. <laughs> All right. He's interesting. <laughs> and the nicest guy in comedy, apparently. He, he doesn't... Uh, necessarily brand himself that way, so it's not a shtick. He just yeah. genuinely is. No, no, I I understand. I think if you branded mm-hmm. yourself that way, it would automatically not be true. <laughs> exactly. That's why I wanted to specifically stipulate because yes. there are a lot of people who have, I mean, not necessarily a capital B brand with mm-hmm. air quotes in that way, but I think that everybody sort of enters comedy world with like a voice and a perspective and a point of view, especially because things are so competitive now and there's so many different platforms and, you know, it's, um, it's an industry that's always in a state of transition. But, uh, I think that that would be a very different thing if somebody came out and said, I'm the nicest guy in comedy. I think inevitably their act would be like Rickles level insulting everyone. Yeah. I feel like it would just automatically <laughs> become ironic if you branded yourself exactly. that way. I think if somebody else exactly. called you that, then it's, I mean, I remember uh, back in the 90s when Rosie O'Donnell had her talk show and uh-huh. she was called the Queen of Nice, but that was not a title that she gave herself. Yeah. Um, and that title later somehow got passed on to Ellen DeGeneres with the same wording. Again, <laughs> I don't think that was a title she gave herself. I think yeah. that's something that the media puts on. Um, because yeah, I, think I think if you brand yourself as the Queen of Nice, the King of Nice, the nicest guy, gal, person mm-hmm. in anything, like it automatically becomes untrue. Especially in specifically comedy, as yes. opposed to say you're the nicest guy in baseball or something like sure. that's a very different yeah. picture. But I feel like if you're the nicest, if you call yourself the nicest guy in comedy with your own merch, with that slogan, you're more likely to be like an Anthony Jesselnik. Something like that. Josh yes. Gondelman. Yeah. I think you're more in that vein. Like <laughs> at the very least you're in on your own joke. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like this is all on purpose. Yes. <laughs> Uh, did you have anything else from your list that you wanted to get to? I saw um, a couple things. Yeah, I have a couple things. I mean, I, I looked at the time and, ah, but, um, we're good. We're good. We're okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, I have a couple of quick things. Um, I wanted to, to mention something that was on my list from last week because it took me too long to get into it. There's a, <laughs> there's a sitcom that comes out of my fair country, Canada. Um, mm. called Schitt's Creek, which oh, of course. I will admit that I initially did not watch because I thought the title was stupid. Um, I, I yes. get exactly where the title comes from. It just, it struck me as a little bit like, do we, do we need to be gross? <laughs> like, could we not yeah. just make a show? Do we, but I think, um, maybe to sell, mm-hmm. they did need to to be gross about it. Um, yeah. And of course they spell it S C H I T T. Uh, so it's not spelled the same as the other word, the way it sounds like it's, it's shit, the not shit, uh-huh. but my mother listens to this. Okay. I'm trying to dance around it. <laughs> she doesn't need to listen to me swear. Um, but, uh, I, um, I, I'd seen episodes here and there. I'd had a couple of people really try to get me into it. And I yeah. had seen some episodes and I had seen clips and I understood uh, that it was brilliant. And I know we talked to Carla about it a little bit. 
because she yep. chose um, Catherine O'Hara as her talent crush, who, of course, is one of the stars of Schitt's Creek, along, yep. among many other things. So I had definitely, I had seen it, but I had never gone back and actually watched the whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently I did that because it, it came up as a suggestion on Netflix. And a nice thing about comedy shows like that is they're only 20 minutes long. Yeah. Um, when you take out the commercials. So if you're Netflixing it, you can do like three in an hour. And you can kind of speed through, especially a, a Canadian show where a season really is 13 episodes. Like, we just yeah. we just never do 22 of anything. <laughs> so uh, there are five seasons of it available on Netflix. And, and I will say, it took me a few episodes to really get into it. And I'm not sure where the, the sort of turn is in the show. It might be slow and subtle, where it becomes like, oh, this is actually a really... Really thoughtful, lovely, like it's not just, you know, cheap plays on words. Like it's really lovely. Um, And it became, it's, I really like it now. Like it's become a real favorite and I can't wait for the final season to air. And, um, oh, is the last, the next season is the last season? Yeah, number, uh, is it five or six? It's going to be, I think six is their last. It's I feel been like announced. it's six, yeah. yeah. I have not watched it at all. I just am subject to everybody talking about how great it is all the time. As I, was I for a long time. It's just so time. much stuff. Like uh, uh, Exactly, there's so much. And it was, it was also something where it's like, well, I'm aware of this. It comes out of the CBC. Like, I will have access to this forever, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not going anywhere for as a Canadian like I will never it's not going to (laughs) get taken off my Netflix I don't think um so it was but it it was it was really worth watching because I mean obviously Catherine O'Hara is a genius obviously uh Eugene Levy is a genius as it turns out is his son Mm -hmm. um who plays his son because I mean I really feel looking at Dan Levy his son uh Mm -hmm. You could, I don't think you could put those two people on the same screen and have them play anything other than relatives. Oh, interesting. Because no, they are that similar. They look so much alike. Mm-hmm. If, if you remember Eugene Levy 40 years ago, 30 <laughs> years ago, and then you look at his son, they're pretty much the same person. Like the, they have the, they have the same face, the same eyebrows, the same hair. Like you can't, <laughs> you could run into one of them on the other side of the world and know they were related, even if you didn't know who they were. Like there's, they're, they're so similar looking. I don't think he could, they couldn't be on the same show and not play father and son, uncle and nephew, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they do a really good job of that. And uh, Sarah Levy, who is Eugene Levy's daughter is also on the show, but not as his daughter. Oh, okay. Uh, she plays one of the townspeople who owns and runs the cafe. So she's in nearly every episode, but, and, and she's not nearly as obviously related where it's, <laughs> she must look like her mom is all I can think. Cause like it's, Possible. if you look for it, it's there, you see the family resemblance, but it doesn't jump out at you. So she's able to play a non-family member in a way that there's no way her brother ever could. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I'm quite delighted by, um, I have, her last name is just flown out of my head. Her first name is Annie. She plays the sister. Okay. Um, because there is a sister character, which is part of why it seems odd that Sarah is on the show, but she's not playing the sister. <laughs> yeah. Annie Murphy. That's it. Annie Murphy plays their daughter, Alexis. And she has a very particular way of saying her brother, David's name. The character, Dan, okay. Dan Levy's character is named David. Um, With you. Yes, and she just has a very particular way of pronouncing David that is hilarious every time. I cannot imitate it. I've tried. Can't do it. <laughs> David? David. David. Ew, no, David. 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 Ew. David. 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 Oh. David. David. Hi. Um, hi. But I don't know what she's doing. I don't know what she's doing. But it is genius. Like it is, she starts out as quite an annoying character, but that becomes <laughs> yeah. endearing um, yeah. because, you know, she's just someone who was raised. They all are. They're people who were so rich for so long that they are so inept in the normal world, but mm-hmm. also trying very hard to not be inept in the normal world, <laughs> like trying to fit in. And it becomes uh, hilarious and, and endearing. And, um, but shout out to That's Annie nice. Murphy, because sometimes just, you know, that one pronunciation of a word can really sort of make a character be the basis of something like that. And I feel like that really is, 
I I would imagine because there that can't be her real the way she really talks. Um, <laughs> and so I feel like that that is probably the thing that she has to say to herself when she comes back after a hiatus. That's her like touchstone. Yeah, like I I would imagine that when she comes back to play Alexis for the first time in a few months, that she probably has to mutter like David to herself a few times to get it right to so that she has Alexis's voice because it does it really does seem to be sort of like this this uh essence of the character in a very strange way but it's, it's, it's wonderful like, it's her version of Nimoy saying fascinating possibly <laughs> a very specific cultural moment is this one actor doing this one word well and she says it the thing is she says it multiple times per episode uh-huh. she says it all the time and so it becomes and it, I wouldn't call it an accent, but Alexis definitely has a voice. That, like an affectation, maybe? Yes. It's more of okay. an affectation that Annie puts on to play this character. And yeah. um, I, I imagine that, you know, like, when she, I'm sure that when she says David in that particular way, that, like, you know she's got Alexis. Like, you know she's yeah. got her down. Um, and it reminded me a little bit of um, some of the the behind the scenes web series or I think it was in that for, for thrilling adventure hour where mm-hmm. uh, Paget talked about how she gets Sadie's voice that she has to go watch part of an Audrey Hepburn movie yeah, and I then sort of say her. something to herself a couple of times in that voice to get Sadie. And it reminded me uh, every time I heard Annie Murphy say, David, I thought, Oh, I bet that's the thing for her uh-huh. that she has to say to know she's got that character. Cause if you're playing someone who has a voice or has a walk or has a, something like that, there's, yeah, I, I'm yeah. sure Megan Mullally has it too for when she's got Karen. Like there's, there's that thing mm-hmm. that slides you in and lets you know that you are where you need to be to play that character. And I, I don't know this. I'm completely guessing, but I would imagine that for Annie Murphy, it's that pronunciation of, of the name David. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's worth watching just for that. <laughs> and all the wigs, uh, Catherine O'Hara's wigs. Oh my Lord. Yeah. So many that wigs. That gets a lot of play on the internet. Sometimes <laughs> a wig the- on top of a wig. It's incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> That's one of the like six things I know about the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have another one? Yeah, I have uh might as well sort of keep going with our general theme of comedy things. Yeah. Um there were a couple of comedy specials that were released lately and I've seen just to sort of preamble this because I wouldn't be me without sort of like pre apologizing and pre explaining that I was gonna talk about You something. be you, Chris. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> um I've seen varying, like, reactions online to talking about these two things together. So I don't necessarily know if I should be grouping them, okay. even though I see a theme, because I realize that not everyone agrees with that. So perhaps in the future, someone will yell at me, and I'll come back and clarify this. But there were two comedy specials that had a general theme of sort of dealing with mental illness and how life can be fucking rough, mm-hmm. but were also really brilliant and really funny. And one of them was uh, Gary Goldman's special on HBO. Um, I crap! I cannot read my writing. It's called De- The Great Depression. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, um, it just got released on Netflix. Uh, I think two days ago, uh, Jenny Slate's new special, um, Stage Fright. Yes, both, I'm interested to see that. She's amazing. They both have this sort of. The way they're shot is similar, where there are pieces where they're doing the bit on stage, and then there's the bit where it's like a documentary, and we're showing them interacting with family and talking about their struggle. And to me, like, the comparison is kind of, like, Mm self-evident, but people have talked about how, like... I saw a few tweets from people I'm not going to name, but who I otherwise respect and admire, saying that it's not appropriate to compare you know, this, what this young woman has dealt with, with what this older guy has dealt with. And okay. I don't know whether it was just demographics. I honestly have not gone far enough into it. I'm just trying to be sort of like, God, without being like a white knight asshole, just trying to be a little bit sensitive in case there's something inappropriate in what I'm saying. But I really loved the way each of these specials sort of tackled, you know what, this is my life and there's some stuff that I'm going through and I haven't figured it all out. There's not a moral, there's not a message at the end of the story, but I'm going to tell you some really amazing jokes and make some really insightful observations about the world and it's all coming through my particular lens and my particular experience. I mean, I think that's probably what comedy is for anyone. It's it's Absolutely. always coming through your experience and lens. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't 
seen either special and I don't, I'm not familiar with the first comedian you mentioned. So mm-hmm. I'm in no position to speak about whether uh, a comparison is valid or not or appropriate or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, in yeah, general, I mean, if you're dealing with what an older white guy has had to deal with in his life and what a woman has had to deal with in her life. And I think Jenny is, um, I think she's in her mid thirties or so. Like she's, she's about my age. Yeah. yeah so, little... you know, she's not, um, she's no kid. Yeah. So she's, you know, she's had a life and done some stuff. And I, I think, um, I would say as a woman, generally mm-hmm. it is harder to be a woman than it is to be a man. It's harder to be a woman of color than it is to be a white woman. <laughs> um, yeah. it is, it is harder, um, mental health wise sometimes as a woman, because so often we are called crazy when we are just not yeah. doing what a man wants us to do. Even if that thing mm-hmm. is, you know, dating him or something that <laughs> is a matter of personal taste and not wanting to date, to date anybody does not make you crazy. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I can't speak to specifics, but I, I can see where that um, objection to the comparison might come from. Yeah, and so that's the thing that I, I, I mean, like, to be fully honest, maybe I shouldn't have brought this up until I looked more into the conversation around these things. So maybe just go ahead and take these things separately and they don't need to be compared. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I respond very strongly to people who are not just owning their perspective, but also owning their struggle. There are a lot of comedians, you know, who it's like an open secret that so-and-so in the seventies was dealing with alcoholism or mental illness or abuse, but that wasn't something that they necessarily brought to stage explicitly. Like, hi, this is who I am. These are the things I'm dealing with. And Gary Goldman is talking very specifically about, you know, I had to be hospitalized because of my depression. And Jenny is talking about her divorce and Mm -hmm. like what it has done for her and her feelings of self. And like, am I ever going to find love? And it's, it's not, it's not that every comedian doesn't have the lens of their life. It's that not everybody talks about what they go through on stage. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder if some of the objection, and again, I have not seen all of this, is just around them being compared at all. Yeah. And that's, you know, because, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's where I am too. <laughs> yeah. Like it might, it might just be, cause I assume it's coming from people who feel that, that, that Jenny Slate shouldn't be overshadowed by what's his name? Gary, Gary Goldman. Goldman. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to say Gondelman, which I know is wrong. Cause you talked about Josh. Cause Brown. I just talked about Josh. I'm trying to not call. Gary Gallman by the wrong name (laughs) Um, by calling him Gary Gondelman because that's what's in my head now. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I wonder if it, if it's just kind of a defense of, you Mm -hmm. know, can we judge Jenny on her own merits and not put her, you know, compare her against someone else who special happened to come out on the same day. Yeah. And I think that just when things come out in close proximity, that kind of thing, I mean, maybe this is an American culture thing, but, or just a universal human thing, I, I don't know. But I think that we just like to compare things and rank <laughs> things and rate things and make lists of things that seem like they kind of go together. And, you know, if one studio has a World War II movie in development, you can bet somebody else is going to try to come up with another World War II movie to beat him to the box office that summer. Like, that's just sort of baked into our culture. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it is human nature to compare things. Um, yeah. I, because it is for sure human nature to, uh, find narrative in things. Yes. This is something that we talk about, um, in acting classes as well too, that, you know, we're, you're always dealing with a narrative structure when you're dealing with a script or when you're dealing with, uh, a special like, or an act like your hour that you do as a comedian or there's always a narrative structure and humans have a tendency because we experience time, (laughs) we, in, in a way that animals don't necessarily so far as we know. Like if your dog mostly exists in the now, it does have memory. You can tell, you know, if you have an animal that's been abused, you can tell by its behavior that it remembers that, um, by how it behaves. But in general, like if you're just a squirrel out in the world being (laughs) a squirrel, 
I don't think that squirrels are sitting around having crises of conscience. I don't think that they're thinking about something that they messed up last week. I don't think they do that. But humans do that. And we tend to find narrative structure in our lives. And we look at everything as a story. Um, And we compare ourselves to other people as a kind of weird measuring stick. And I think we have a tendency to compare... um, things that seem similar to us. Like I'm thinking of a few years ago when yeah. those movies came out about Truman Capote. Okay. And there was one with Philip Seymour Hoffman and there was uh-huh. one with um, Toby, the British guy. Little, no, wait. Hmm? No, the, uh, Toby Jones. Toby Jones. I think that's right. Yeah. The little sure. British guy. Um, yeah. And they were very different movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, they were both basically about the same period in the same person's life. Very different yeah. performances, very different movies came out, unfortunately close together and mm-hmm. were compared and contrasted, com- you know, all the time, all over the place, because of course they were. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I specifically remember, here's how long ago this was. I went to Blockbuster and rented them both. I'm um, sorry, what now? I know, right? <laughs> uh and and specifically watch them together just to sort of compare them. So that's definitely a thing that humans do. I will say, yeah. uh, Toby Jones, physically more like Capote. Philip Seymour Hoffman, in my opinion, uh, I hate to say better, but yeah, better performance. Yeah, he was a great actor. He really but I, was. I do agree with you. I think that's just sort of part of our human brain is like we want things to make sense. Yeah. So we build stories and we try to figure things out. Like this is our problem solving intelligence that like got us all the way from the wheel to podcasting. Like this is why we're here <laughs> is because our brains do this. Yeah. But sometimes we have to understand that that impulse like can not necessarily backfire, but like cause negative ramifications. Yeah. And if we. It, I think it, there's so much context around it, too, that in yeah. a case where you're comparing things that maybe on their on the surface seem similar, it, it may be that you're actually dealing with apples and oranges. Like, sure. they're both fruit, so they're mm. both comedy specials about someone's lived experience and something they've been through. But if you go beyond the level of these are both fruit, <laughs> yeah. um, you might find that they're actually quite different and I wonder if that's what people are responding to but this is all conjecture so yeah mostly yeah I I really only uh was aware of Jenny's special and it's on my list of things to see and I just I haven't gotten to it yet because it came out two three days ago um yeah like it's very recent just like I have not yet seen the latest uh half season of Bojack Horseman although it is being spoiled for me on Twitter thanks a lot people um, I watched the first four I was going to try to finish it today yeah I've, so, I've seen none so of it so I could go on Twitter <laughs> because it came out yesterday at midnight I think uh-huh. like Friday morning so I uh-huh. went to work and then I came home and then I went to Comedy Bang Bang and then I came home and then I went to bed and now I'm podcasting <laughs> <laughs> There was no time for Bojack's calendar corner. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, speaking of calendar and 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 scheduling things, we're almost out of time. We are. Look at that. We did it. (laughs) We did it. We We did did a podcast. (sighs) And uh, yeah, the um, I guess the only thing left to do is plugs and stuff. Uh, well, uh, I think we should uh, do our little segment that mm-hmm. in, in my head I am now calling Do Something Good, um, <laughs> which is where we each uh, pitch a charity that somebody might want to know more about. Yes. So uh, um, are, you, are you prompting me to go first? Is I, that what that's what right I now? was trying to set up. Yeah. Do you want to? <laughs> Hooray. Um, <laughs> I mentioned them in passing uh, last week slash last episode, mm-hmm. uh, the World Wildlife Fund. Oh, yes. Um, the original WWF. <laughs> Pandas um, and such. <laughs> one of the world's leading conservation organizations. Um, they're dedicated to the preservation of, ooh, that wasn't a word, the <laughs> preservation of biodiversity. Uh-huh. Um, 
and their main goals are to protect and restore species in their habitats, strengthen local communities' ability to conserve the natural resources they depend upon, transform markets and policies to reduce the impact of the production and consumption of commodities, ensure the value of nature is reflected in decisions made by individuals, communities, governments, and businesses, Mm -hmm. and mobilize hundreds of millions of people to support conservation. And the, uh, the fun thing about this that I think makes it sort of like more broadly accessible is you can do the same sort of adopt an animal that other uh, charity groups have, only they give you like an adopt a species mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so you can buy like little plushies of an okapi or a red fox or whatever you want uh, your money to help go towards. And they're really actually high quality little toys. So if you need a uh, tactile incentive, uh, (laughs) get yourself a fuzzy little friend and you can do that at worldwildlife.org. Nice. (laughs) What's uh, what's your organization that you wanted to talk about? Well, I, I hate to disappoint everyone, but this one does not come with a toy. Um, <laughs> that that really feels like shade. <laughs> uh, I wanted to uh, let people know about an organization called Say Yes, which stands for South African Youth Education for Sustainability. It was founded in 2008. Um, you may know it from its previous name that it had for a year or so early on, OTSK, Off the Street Kids. It was renamed Say Yes pretty quickly. Um, they are uh, an organization in South Africa that aims to bridge the gap for youth who are aging out of uh, care, their foster care system, and transitioning to adulthood and who may not have, um, you know, strong parental figures around. So they match them up with mentors who uh, help them with things like deciding how and when and where to continue their education, um, job searches, learning how to make good life decisions. Um, and nice. the, the whole idea being to reduce uh, inequality socially, to not let these kids fall through the cracks who might otherwise just age out of a system and be left on their own. They can apply yeah. to say yes, they can get matched up with uh, a willing adult. It, it reminds me a little bit of, of Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Except it's sure, for yeah. older kids. It's not for children. It's I think you can start at fourteen, um, and you and it, you can go up all the way to twenty five. So it's okay. Teenagers and young adults having uh, a mentor in their lives who can give them guidance, who can help them figure out how to be an adult and how to be a self sufficient <laughs> adult. It's adulting education like for use, young people. I could use this service. <laughs> well, talk to your mom and dad. That's their job. Um, but yeah, for those who, who don't have uh, parents or don't necessarily have good relationships with those parents or, or what have you, um, these people help them get and stay on the right track so that they don't, uh, I, I think I already said this, but so that they don't fall through the cracks. It uh, yeah. was founded by Gillian Anderson, yes, that one, and Michelle oh, Potter. Hey. Um, back in 2008 and, uh, and they are still sort of, they're both very heavily involved. In fact, if you send them an email, which I did once many years ago, you will probably get an answer from Michelle. Uh, nice. Yeah. So it's, it's quite lovely. You can find them at sayyesmentoring.org. That's S A Y E S. So there's just the one Y mentoring.org. Okay. And, uh, yeah, they're doing good work and they've been doing good work for like 11 years. So, um, please feel free to support them. Hooray. Hooray. Uh, what about your personal plugs? My personal plugs. Well, you can send me money at... <laughs> <laughs> Venmo Stevie today. We don't have Venmo in Canada, but feel free to PayPal me. Uh, no. She does I, kind of need a new computer. So I, kid, I, kid. Really I could. I could use an update. Um, we'll, we'll, start a, we'll start a GoFundMe or something that no one will donate to. Um, all right. So in... In all seriousness, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stevie KJ. That's S-T-E-V-I-E-K-A-Y-J-A-Y. And my website is steviejackson.ca. As always, my website, Honestly Charlotte, is out there for your viewing pleasure. It would really be nice if people would view it and tell me what they thought of it. Um, I try not to look at the stats, but the radio silence is sometimes deafening. So it's uh, it's out there. And um, we... we being me and my team hope you enjoy it uh i'm trying to think if there's anything else 
Not really. It's going to be like February before my Hallmark thing comes out. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think we uh, instructed everyone to mark their calendars last time. Yeah, I think we did. Um, so <laughs> what, about, uh, what about you? Where can people find you? Well, my website is ChristopherRoyce.com, Twitter and Instagram, Chris M. Royce. I don't know if I've been on Instagram in a really long time, but I could probably check that if somebody wanted to say hi. <laughs> um, I'm starting to, uh, you'll be listening to this in the future, so you will, <laughs> you will know better than I how I am progressing on this novel that I'm working on, maybe. Because <laughs> by December, I hope to be uh, in sort of final revisions mode. Uh, I am excited about it, but it is a daunting project. Uh, It's called Consent of the Governed. It's sort of a sci-fi political thriller set a few decades in the future. And uh, yeah, it's something that I'm really eager to uh, talk more about on future podcasts and on the internets. So stay tuned for my uh, second novel. It's coming soon. It's a crazy thing to say out loud. And in the meantime, they can read your first one... On my website, ChristopherRoyce.com uh, slash Redux, I think is the subsite. If you okay. want to read Redux to the Jedi, which is a Star Wars novel. There you go. And that's the nice thing about this new thing is eventually I'll be able to charge money for it because it's my own IP. Ooh. Take that capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> We're also starting a GoFundMe for Chris. <laughs> no, I'm going to actually try to like make and sell a thing. I don't need the GoFundMe quite yet. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, did we do uh, it? I think we might have. The only thing left is to thank everyone for listening, for subscribing, for commenting places, for rating and doing all the things. Tell a friend. Tell your mom. I don't know. Just yeah. uh, let people know if you like the show. And if you don't, that's fine. You don't have to listen to it. It's free. Yes, that's right. Uh, we would appreciate <laughs> it if you would rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you get your pods cast Uh, (laughs) that does help people find the show so if you're enjoying it feel free to help other people enjoy it as well and we'll talk at you next time the talent crush chat show podcast is written edited and produced by christopher royce and stevie jackson Show notes, social media links, and more can be found at talentcrushchatshow.tumblr.com. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to help more people discover the show. If you want us to give you some unreliable advice, send us an email at talentcrushchatshow at gmail.com.